Well, if you want to find the book of Psalms a while, 145 will be our text today. College professor was about to give his final exam to his students. It was a class on finance. And just before he handed out the test, uh, one of his less than, uh, less than stellar students came up front. And he said, Prof, he said, uh, what do I need to get on this test in order for me to pass this course? Just to get a D, what do I need on this test? And the prof looked at him with pity in his eyes. He said, my friend, this test is worth 100 points. You're going to need 113 to get a D. (laughs) And it didn't sink in, apparently, because the young man said, well, what will I need in order to get a C? (laughs) You can explain that to your neighbor, uh, so some of you are back in school again. Of course, we don't have a lot, of, a lot of kids in here. How many are back in school? All right. Uh, how many of you are loving it? Yeah, not so many hands. School can be tough. Get back into it. And um, I, I remember when I was a kid, I hated school. Hated it. Got to high school. That was better, but not because of the education. I, I, I liked it because it, now it's my social um, my social crowd and interact with people, especially once you could drive and do things with the kids you see in school. Uh, I took a 12-year uh, hiatus before I went to college. In fact, they weren't really sure I could make it in college. They made, me, they made me take a special test to see if I could succeed in college because my grades were not that good in high school. And I surprised them and me by the first two semesters, I got straight A's. But the difference was, and take note of this, students, the difference was I wanted to learn what I was studying in college. I was motivated. And my guess is that those of you who are in school, if you would think, if they would do this, maybe they'd have a, I I, want to learn to really cook well. So if they had a a cooking course by a world-class chef, I'd love to, I'd love to get that kind of education. If, if. If they were going to teach, um, you know, I love history. I always loved history. That's one of the only things I loved in school. If they teach history, uh, I'd love to take that. If you have something you're really impassioned about, you desire, you like to go to school for that. And this morning we want to talk about going to school for worship. Going to the school of worship. And there are a lot of places in Scripture that we could go to to learn how to be a better worshiper. Uh, there are certain, certainly plenty of places. But the heart and soul of the school of worship is the book of Psalms in the Old Testament, right there, smack dab in the middle of the Old Testament. Uh, the longest book, not in terms of uh, how many words, but in terms of chapters, 150 chapters. And the Hebrew title of, uh, we get our title for the book of Psalms from the Greek uh, title of this book, but the Hebrew title means song, songs of praise or book of praise. And so it's all about, uh, it's all about praising God. It's all about coming to God and, and becoming a worshiper. And as Pastor Brandon said, I, I hope uh, this morning 
it's possible that we're going, there's going to be some difficult things that get stirred up in your heart. And I want you to feel free to slip out and go to the prayer room if you, if you need to. Um, hopefully there will also be some joyous things that get stirred up in your heart as, as well. And so we're going, to, uh, we're going to look at these verses in Psalm 145 in just a moment. Uh, but first we're going to pray. And I don't know if you picked up on this, but the last six months or so, um, I've been, when I pray before the message, I typically am uh, praying a prayer of worship and praise and adoration to God. And don't know if you've caught this, but primarily I'm praying from the scriptures. I'm going to a passage uh, sometimes in uh, something that Paul's written or one of the prophets, but in most cases going to the book of Psalms and praying scripture back to God. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to do. And basically we're going to uh, encourage you to do that today in, in our teaching time. That you take the scriptures and you let the words of the scripture writer uh, pray back to God and um, you can convert, you're gonna find passages that, aren't, that don't say you, God, but you can convert the language, the pronouns of the scriptures so that it all becomes a you prayer. And that's what we're gonna do this morning from, uh, uh, from Psalm chapter nine. So if you bow with me in prayer. Lord, you reign forever, executing judgment from your throne. You will judge the world with justice. You do rule the nations with fairness. Lord, you, you are a shelter for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. Those who know your name have learned to trust in you. For you, O oh Lord, do not abandon those who search for you. Father, speak to us this morning by your word, by the Holy Spirit, by this great songwriter from 3,000 years ago. Uh, may he be our instructor, um, ultimately Holy Spirit teaching us more and more about what it means to be a worshiper. You have made us for this purpose. You have shaped us for this purpose. Now help us to become these worshipers in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 145. One of the greatest, in my opinion, uh, one of the two greatest psalms, one of the most magnificent. Uh, Psalm 103 is, I think, the only other one that compares. And it's just the entire psalm is, is about lifting God up and making much of him. Let's read it uh, together. I will exalt you, my God and King, and praise your name forever and ever. I will praise you every day. Yes, I will praise you forever. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. And then there's a shift here. Now he starts, he's been talking to the Lord. Now he starts talking about the Lord to the congregation as if he's a, a worship leader. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. I was wrong. Now the shift uh, comes in verse 8. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and on your wonderful miracles. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue, and I will proclaim your greatness. 
Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness, and they will sing with joy about your righteousness. The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. All your works will thank you, Lord. Now he begins to talk directly to the Lord again. And your faithful followers will praise you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom and they will give examples of your power. They will tell about your mighty deeds and about the majesty and glory of your reign. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and you rule throughout all generations. The Lord always keeps his promises. Now again, he's a worship leader. He is gracious in all he does. The Lord helps the fallen and lifts those bent beneath their loads. The eyes of all look to you in hope. You give them their food as they need it. When you open your hand, you satisfy the hunger and the thirst of every living thing. The Lord is, <clears throat> the Lord is righteous in all he does. He is filled with kindness. The Lord is close to all who call on him. Yes, to all who call on him in truth. He grants the desires of those who fear him. <clears throat> he hears their cries for help and rescues them. The Lord protects all those who love him, but he destroys the wicked. I will praise the Lord and may everyone on earth bless his holy name forever and ever. Now you might think as you read this, does he have a clue just how hard life can be? All of these beautiful acclamations to God and how good he is and how wonderful he is and how kind he is and how merciful he is. Does he have a clue how hard life is? Just in the last couple of years, there are people sitting in the seats around you who, or who will be sitting in the seats next service who have lost a child, who have lost a husband or a wife, who have been diagnosed with some awful disease, or maybe they're just feeling horrible and they haven't found a diagnosis yet. There are people here who are diagnosed with cancer. There are people here who want to have children and can't. People here who've had a Down syndrome child. A child diagnosed with Cornelia DeLange syndrome. There are people here whose marriages are hanging on by a thread. I'm not sure they're going to make it through the year. There are people here who either have tried to take their lives or somebody in their family has. There are people here struggling with alcoholism. People here who are depressed, some who are on medications, some who aren't. There are some here who are married and don't want to be. And there are some here who want to be married and aren't. And my friends, if you only knew 
That is the tip of the iceberg. Just here, one church. It's be interesting to know when David wrote this song. And David is by far and away the most um, <clears throat> prominent writer in the Psalms. He wrote about half of them. Nobody else even comes close, no other authors. And you wonder, was life as a king so great that he didn't understand how hard life was that he could speak this way about God, who, after all, is over all the world, who rules over everything, who has unlimited power, could do anything he wants, and he speaks about this God as if he is filled with kindness, that he grants the desires of those who fear him, that he hears their cry for, cries for help and he rescues them, really? He must have been born with a silver spoon in his mouth and he never really encountered tough times. And so I wonder when he wrote this. Did he write it perhaps during the eight years that he was on the run from King Saul who was trying to kill him? He had been appointed as king and anointed by the prophet Samuel as king. And yet there was another king already on the throne who wasn't about to abdicate for this little upstart and felt the only way to protect his throne is to kill this man. And so he would chase him. And David ran for his life for, six, for eight years. Maybe he wrote it then. Maybe he wrote it in the days that he discovered that his wife, given to him by King Saul, wasn't nearly as supportive as he hoped she would be. Or maybe he wrote it in the days after he was king. And he was trying to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem where it belonged. A good thing to do. A godly thing to do. On the trip back, the oxen that were pulling the cart that the Ark was on stumbled and Uzzah, a good man, reached out to do a good thing and steady the ark. And the Bible says that God's anger boiled over and he killed Uzzah for touching the ark. And David was angry. And David was afraid of this God. Maybe he wrote it then. Maybe he wrote it in the days after his affair with Bathsheba was discovered and the little baby being formed in her womb because he happened to choose to have an affair with a wife, not just of anyone, but a man who was out fighting for him on the front lines. And not just any soldier, but one of his elite guard one of the 30 mighty men. And while he was out fighting for David, David took his wife and impregnated her. And then when he couldn't pass it off 
as Uriah's child, he had Uriah killed at the front lines of battle. And then he was discovered. Maybe David wrote it in the wake of that. And then the baby that Bathsheba was, gave birth to died. Maybe he wrote it then. Or maybe he wrote this psalm in the days after he discovered that his son Amnon had raped his sister. Or in the days following when another son killed Amnon for raping his sister. Or maybe in the days when that son, Absalom, ran his father out of town trying to take over his throne. And to rub salt in the wound, wound, he slept with his father's wives. Pitched a tent on the palace, if you can imagine that, and slept with them to proclaim to all Israel, I'm in charge now. Maybe David wrote this song in the wake of that. Or then in the days after when he heard Absalom was dead, maybe he wrote it then. You see, David knew something about life being hard. And yet he could go to his knees and say the Lord always keeps his promises. That he is gracious in all that he does. That he opens his hand and satisfies the hunger and thirst of every living thing. That he protects all these, those that he loves. He showers compassion on all his creation. David is saying that though life is hard, and I know something about it, God is great. And as hard as it gets, God is still great. Verse 3, great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. As the prophet Isaiah said, chapter 55, I don't have God figured out. And that's because he thinks in a whole different plane than I do. That's because his ways operate in a whole different plane than I do. I know this, that he is great. And that he is worthy of praise. I know that he is merciful and compassionate. I know that he is slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. I know that he is good to everyone. I know that he showers compassion on all of his creation. I, I, I know that you do great and mighty deeds. I, we should proclaim your miracles, whether those are miracles of deliverance, like when Israel came out of Egypt, or miracles of provision, like when he provided water in the wilderness, food in the desert, or a bountiful feast for thousands of people who had come out in the wilderness to hear Jesus preach, and there's only one small lunch. Miracles of healing. A man born blind now can see. Lepers. Even a pagan commander from Syria would be healed of leprosy because of the might and compassion of God. 
whether it is this provision of daily bread or it is the desires of those who fear him or the protection that he provides all who love him. I will praise the Lord and may everyone on earth bless his holy name. My guess is when we started talking about worship several weeks ago, there were at least a few of you that said, I'm not sure I want to worship this God because he has allowed X, Y, Z in my life. That when I called out to him, he didn't answer me. In my day of distress, I couldn't hear. When I go through the wilderness, when I go through the desert and the sun beats down on my forehead and there's no cooling water anywhere in sight and the wind whips up the sand and it blows even in my mouth and when I close my mouth, I crunch on gritty sand. The psalmist tells us again and again that even in deserts of hardship, there are gardens of worship. Did you know that the vast majority of the Psalms are not worship like this, but complaints? The biblical term is laments. The vast majority of Psalms are not David saying, God, you are so awesome and so good. They are David saying, when are you going to show up and rescue me? When are you going to deliver me? And yet you can almost see it, the progression. He starts at, I, I, I could almost turn to any psalm, especially in the first 80 psalms, and find a psalm where David is complaining. Like, God, where are you? And yet as you read through each psalm, you'll find at the end of the psalm, David says, but I know you are good. And I know you are going to come. And I know you are going to show up. It may not be my timing. It may not be in my way. But you are going to come. And I want to give you three gardens, if you will, places of refuge where you can run and find shade from the sun and clean, clear, flowing, cool waters to drink from. And sweet fruit to sink your teeth into. The first is a garden of remembrance. A garden of remembrance. I'm going to give you just one example. This is Psalm 54. What I mean is looking back at days when God has delivered you. When God has come in response to your cry. Psalm 54 verse 7. Again, David's starting out with plea, pleading for God. Come to me, come with great power, God, and rescue me, defend me. Verse 7. For you have rescued me from my troubles and helped me to triumph over my enemies. I've seen you do this. This, this is where I can run. This is a garden to which I can run so that I can worship you. I remember what you've done. In a couple of weeks, we're going to celebrate communion. And one of the reasons that we celebrate communion is so we remember what Jesus has done for us. Why? Because we're forgetful. 
And David is reviewing in his mind how God has rescued him in the past. This is a a garden of remembrance. And all of us have those times when God has really shown up in great power. And we need to keep We need to keep them well filed, the files close at hand in our memories so that when the wheels start to come off in our lives, we go back and we go to that garden and say, I I remember God when you came through big time. And then there's the garden of eternity. Look at Psalm 73. Now, this is not one of David's. This is Asaph's, but I love this psalm. Because if you're human, you've experienced this. Psalm 73, beginning of verse 2. Asaph says, but as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. It seems like life's not hard for them. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and they clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats, I love the way the NLT renders some things. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil. And in their pride, they seek to crush others. And then he asked the question beginning of verse 13. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? In other words, did I follow you, God, for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. And some of you know exactly what he's talking about every morning it's like oh really must I get out of bed and then verse 17 he's recounting what he sees in life but verse 17 then I went into your sanctuary O God and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked Truly, you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff of destruction. Brothers and sisters, there is nothing more important for us to remember than the big scheme of things. And what I mean by that is that life does not end at the end of this life. This is the garden of eternity to be able to see all of life through the the, uh, lens of all of life. Not just this one where I will draw my final breath in another 5, 10, 15, 20 years. But the life that then begins from there and that goes on without end. This is the garden of eternity. But I think the most important one for those of us who know Christ is the garden of spiritual deliverance. Listen to what David says in Psalm chapter 2 there are many psalms in this book that are written that speak about somebody way down in the future we call them messianic psalms because they speak about a coming king the the son of David and this is one of them verse 12 Psalm 212 submit to God's royal son 
or he will become angry and you will be destroyed in the midst of your activities. For his anger flares up in an instant, but what joy for all who take refuge in, we're going to say his name, Jesus. What joy for all who take refuge in him. And when we do not understand all that life throws at us, and we do not understand why God permits what he permits, that is when we go back to the cross. John, <clears throat> the Apostle John, uh, says this about Jesus. John 1, verse 18. No one, <clears throat> excuse me, no one has ever seen God. But the unique one, speaking about Jesus, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. In other words, if you are struggling with wrestling, with who is this God? What is he like? Can he really be compassionate when someone I love is going through a horrible time in their marriage? Can he really be full of kindness when he will not give me the child that I long for? Is he really the, the, the God who says he protects those whom he loves? I look at the cross and I'm like, okay, I, don't, I can't fill in all those blanks. But I know that Jesus has shown me the measure of his mercy, grace, and compassion and love and what he did for me in the cross. And if David could praise God like this before the promise has been fulfilled, long before the promise has been fulfilled, Think of what we can do knowing Christ and his cross today. I want to encourage you to enroll in God's school of worship. And here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. There are 150 psalms. For the next 150 days, or 200 days, you break up the longer ones, read a psalm every day. Read a psalm every day and use the language of psalms to worship God. Change the pronouns as you need to. But this will be a great school. This will be an incredible education for you to just pray back the psalms to God. And if, you, if you're doing something else, I, I, that's fine. Don't, don't interrupt. But maybe this is something you want to do down the road when you finish a particular reading plan or something that you just let let the psalm writers become your tutors in becoming worshipers. Remember we said at the beginning of this series, God has made us to be worshipers. He's made us for worship. That's what we're here for, is to bring back to God all the acclaim that he is worthy of. You know that's what we're going to do in heaven, right? A lot of other things we're going to do, I understand, but... But you know what's going to be driving us then? Worship. We'll be finally in his presence and see him in the fullness of glory. And we won't be able to help but fall down on our faces before him and say, God, you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our thanksgiving. You are indeed a great and glorious God. We have a new mind and now we get it. Now we see him. Now we understand him. 
in all of his fullness. So we close in prayer. I'm going to pray just for us to be ongoing students of worship. Would you pray with me? I pray that for myself, Lord, that the scriptures and the Holy Spirit and my brothers and sisters would all help tutor me in worship, that we would teach each other, that we would be a school for each other, and that the word would teach us to become the worshipers that you've designed us to be. Lord, we're here this morning. I I can't imagine there's a one of us here who wouldn't say, yeah, life is hard. And yet there are these people that we look back who have penned these scriptures who say life is hard, but God is great. And may we learn from them. And may you fill us up by the Holy Spirit with the joy of knowing you, knowing this great God who's loved us not because we were worthy of being loved, but because he chose to love us. You chose to love us. You chose to set your affections upon us. You chose to send your son to die for us, not because we're worthy of it, but because you are great. Because you are great. We love you. Make us the worshipers that you've called us to be. Sign us to be in Jesus' name.